Well, what is going on, everybody? How are you doing? <laughs> that was pretty weak, y'all. I ain't gonna lie. It's okay. Hopefully, maybe as we continue over the course of the day, you will get a little bit more excited, a little bit livened up. Uh, hopefully, it'll be good. Uh, my name is Nick. For those who I do not know, and I get the privilege of being one of the pastors here at New Vision. And as always, I love the opportunity to be able to open up God's Word with you. If you have not been with us over the last few weeks, we have been journeying through the book of Exodus. And the thing that we keep repeating is God draws us out to draw us in. He draws us out of our sin and into relationship with himself, which is what we all need. And we have seen that God has used the most unlikely of people, and he has drawn out the most unlikely of people, beginning with the first week as we talked about the midwives. Who would have thought that the midwives would be on the front page of Scripture and of the narrative of redemption of God, but God used them to protect a people. And then we saw in the second week that Moses was drawn out of the reeds, and we learned that either we have a choice. We can either be drawn out or we can hide out. And to be drawn out is a much, much better way to navigate. Then last week we began and we talked about anger being the million-dollar emotion. I didn't like that sermon, y'all. It called me out. It stepped on my toes. I wanted to trip Brady after he finished talking about it. I didn't. But I didn't like it because it was a very, very true. We can either leverage anger for something that is good or destructive. And if we're honest, or if I'm honest with myself, a lot of times I have not leveraged it for good. I've leveraged it for destruction. And this week, we are going to come face to face as Moses did with the I am, the king. And let's be real. We all need an encounter with the king. I don't care where you are. I don't care how well you have been walking. We all need an encounter with the king. We need to be drawn out so that we can be drawn in. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking about the first time I was drawn out of my sin and into relationship with Jesus. And that was in the seventh grade. Y'all, I was a cute, short, chubby middle school kid, a lot to love. Praise the Lord. My mama loved me well, y'all. And uh, I remember sitting at a summer camp. It was one of my first opportunities I had ever gone to summer camp. And I remember lots of things about it. It was hot. They made us run a lot. And we would go into these worship sessions, these worship services in the evening, which was interesting because the church I went to, it was very, very traditional and hemmed up. But when we got to camp, y'all, we just broke loose. Like we, I mean, we, like it was something truly amazing. And over the course of that week being away at camp, I felt the Holy Spirit inviting me into relationship with the king. And I remember sitting there as the speaker was telling me about how I was loved right where I am and how I was invited into the family of God no matter what and how Jesus paid a price on a cross for my sins and his resurrection provided a way that I could overcome death. And y'all, I was sitting there and it was like the pastor was talking to me. You ever been there where you're like, stop looking at me, pastor, stop it. And I remember just listening and I could not help myself. And I went down for it, and I said, hey, I want this Jesus that you have said wants me to be a part of his family. I want this Jesus who you say sees me and loves me and welcomes me home. So I said yes to Jesus. And it truly was life changing. Now, here's the deal. I thought when I said yes to Jesus that that meant I got to tell the Lord what I was going to do or not going to do. 
Can I go ahead and tell y'all that was not right? Because here's what I learned. As I stepped into relationship and I took that first step of obedience, there were many steps of obedience to follow. Because this is a journey. And one of the next steps of obedience that he invited me into was being called to ministry. Let me just tell you, as a middle school kid, I did not want to be called to ministry. Are you kidding me? For a couple of reasons. For one, pastors didn't make a lot of money. Two, I thought you had to be perfect, and this brother was far from perfect. Three was I was like, Lord, you got to give me time to work on a good testimony. I need to run a little bit more away from you before I can start telling people about you. And honestly, if I really tell you honestly why I did not want that call to ministry is because every pastor I knew talked. He would communicate. They would, they would talk about Jesus. And I, at that time in my life, was in all kinds of speech classes because I didn't talk so well. I had a lisp. If you were to see my... Um, my chart from speech pathology class, you would see that over half of the alphabet I could not say correctly. I didn't like speaking in front of class. I didn't like reading out loud. I did not want any attention brought to me spinky. And then God did this crazy thing. He said, huh, watch this. I want you to speak the rest of your life. And it was one of those moments where you're like, I don't want to. Why would you expose a weakness that I have to the world? But can I just tell you, in the economy of God, he doesn't see our weaknesses as things that are obstacles, but opportunities for him to get the glory. And so when I told him, hey, I I can't speak well, I can't be a pastor, God said, Nick, you just have to trust me. Because here is what is true. Instead of looking at the I am, I was looking at what I was not. And I needed to change my perspective. I needed to realize that I am because of I am. That because of the I am and what he has called me to do, I am able to do abundantly more than I could ever hope or imagine. And so here's what is true of me and here's what is true of you. When you fix your eyes on I am, you are better reminded of how to navigate and walk. And so I wonder, I just wonder, How many of us in this place are watching online or thinking to themselves, I can't because of who I am instead of going, I can because of the I am? My prayer for us today is that maybe we get a different perspective, is that maybe as we gaze upon the I am, we get better clarity and can take better steps because we recognize that we are because he is. And so if you would, before we dive in, I invite you to pray alongside me. Dear Jesus, Thank you for the word that you have for us today. Today's word for me personally is a very vulnerable message. It's a very honest message. It's a message that I have to preach to myself over and over and over again. My prayer is that you will use, Father, a message that I have preached to myself countless times for my friends and my family so that we can navigate better and we can fix our eyes on you and that we recognize that we are because you are. And Father, may we walk differently in light of that. Father, may we fix our eyes on you and may we embrace the encounter that you have for us. And so Father, we love you. Father, we thank you. 
And Father, we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. Amen. Well, we're going to pick up this story in Exodus chapter 3. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, your phones, whatever it is you read God's word with. We're going to see that Moses is 80 years old at this time. 80 years old. And I think that's a word for us because some of us will discount ourselves because of our age. But listen, there is no age limit on how God can use you. And so Moses is 80 years years old and he is a shepherd and he is leading his father-in-law's flock and he's doing all the things that he needs to do. And I would even say this, Moses is in a bit of a place of the in-between. He doesn't really fit in Egypt. He doesn't really fit with his people, the Israelites. And he's in a land that is not his own, living with his father-in-law and his wife. And so he really is in this place of in-between. But here's what I love. The Lord will use the land of the in-between to sharpen us and refine us into what he has called us to be. And so if you currently find yourself in the in-between, you are in good company. Because the Lord is not done with you and the Lord is working. And so Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, Moses is taking the sheep out, doing what he is supposed to do, and God is preparing this time for him and Moses to have an encounter. Verse number 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Here's what I notice about Moses is Moses is doing his due diligence. He is not rushing through this desert. He is not rushing through this land of the in-between. No, don't rush. And Moses, if he was rushing through this, he would have missed out on something. Here is my tendency, and y'all probably aren't anything like this, but I want to rush through the desert. Lord, please bring me to the well so I can get replenished. Do not Take me to the desert. But there is something to be learned in the desert, everybody. Did you hear me? Because y'all didn't say anything back. And that's not, for, for some of us, are like, I don't like that part. Neither do I. But it's a necessary part of the story, everybody. If you survey the pages of Scripture and the narrative of Scripture, you will see that most heroes of the faith had to navigate through a desert to get to the promised land. And this is where Moses is. But don't move too quickly because God is using the desert to to reveal to you what needs to be revealed for the journey. One of my favorite passages is Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. But no, even though he has a plan for you, that plan sometimes includes the desert. And it is not wasted time. It is necessary time to build in you what is necessary for the journey. Verse number two. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that through the bush was on fire. It did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. Can we pause Y'all, I'm just, we have to be real, okay? Sometimes we read the Bible and go, that's so sweet. Moses just walking in the desert and look, a bush was on fire. He went, hey, bush, look at you on fire, but you're not burning up. What a curious thing. Y'all, let's just be real. I'm just going to let you into my scary brain, okay? I'm imagining myself walking around with some sheep. Y'all get a picture of that, me as a shepherd. (laughs) Anyways, I'm walking around with these sheep and it's hot. 
And it's an arid land in which Moses is walking around. And so I'm sure bushes would catch on fire. I'm just, it's hot, it's dry. It probably would happen from time to time. But Moses is going at a pace. Remember when I said, don't rush through the desert? He is going at a pace where he can notice a movement of God. And so as Moses is walking, he notices that a bush catches on fire. Now, this is where the story would differ for me and Moses. If I noticed a bush caught on fire and did not burn up, I don't care who's in the bush. Sheep, time to go. But Moses does this thing that really doesn't make sense to me. He goes, oh, what a curious thing. This reminds me of a scary movie. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know if you're anything like me, but I yell at people in the movies. Like people in the movies will do this crazy thing. They'll be like, oh, I'm supposed to be alone. I hear a mysterious sound in the scary, scary house on this dark, dark road. Let's go explore the sound. No, you better run. That's a good way to die. Do not do that. Girl, do not go to that house. That's me. And so as I'm reading scripture, I'm like, Moses, uh-uh, that bush going to get you. You better stay away, Moses. But Moses is compelled to go see what is going on because he was walking at a pace slow enough to notice a movement of God. I just tell you guys, sometimes we need to slow down. And and here's the thing I do not like, but that I have seen some good side of this slowing down that we have seen is it gives me time to take notice of what God is trying to reveal to me. I don't like it. I try to fight it. But there is something to be gained by slowing down. And Moses got to experience God doing something that only God could do. He's going to appear in the bush. This is called a theophany. A theophany is where God appears in a way to speak to somebody, to talk to somebody. Now, it's not in his full glory because if God appeared in his full glory, we as humankind could not handle it. So God is just going to give a glimpse of his glory through this burning bush. Verse number four. This is one of my favorite parts of this story. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Let's don't move too quickly from this. So you got to think for Moses, Moses is in a land that is not his own. He's in this land of in-between. He's somewhere between being an Egyptian leader and an Israelite. He is found himself in his life in this land of in-between. And so now he's in the desert, the last place he probably thought he would be, tending to his father-in-law's sheep, and he is walking and he notices this thing that is otherworldly. He stops, and what happens? God, using a bush, will say, Moses, Moses. And do you find that Moses' response is a little strange? I do. He goes, here I am. He goes, here I am. Why would Moses respond that way? And I think it's this. I think because he felt known in that moment. Because God knew his name. Listen, when someone knows your name, it's like they see you and they know you. When someone knows your name, you don't feel as alone. 
When someone knows your name, you feel invited into a space that you didn't previously feel invited into. God knows his name. He says, Moses, Moses. Author Robert C. Lee says this, the sweetest sound to anyone's ears is the sound of his own name. Why is that sound so beautiful? Because it lets us know that we are known. God knows us. Now, for some of us, we kind of hesitate with that information. We're like, ooh, he knows everything about us? Uh Uh-huh. Nick, he knows the bad, the ugly, the inconvenient, the the things I don't like. He knows everything about me? Uh Uh-huh. Nick, he knows about the mistakes that I made. Nick, he knows about the times that I stepped out of line. He knows about the things that no one else knows about. (laughs) He does. And he still calls you by name. In spite of the evidence, in spite of the wrong steps, and we see that through the life of Moses. He goes, Moses, Moses, I know you. In Luke 12, 7, it says this, Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. See, God knows you, and here's the crazy thing. Are you, are you, are you ready for it? He loves you anyway. Let me say it again, because I don't want to move too fast, because some of y'all are like, okay, I feel uncomfortable with that. God, he loves you anyway. He loves you anyway. And it doesn't matter what desert you find yourself in or what predicament you have found yourself in based on some wrong actions in the past. He knows you and he loves you. He knows you fully and yet still calls you by name. Verse number five. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. God goes, listen, Moses. Take off your shoes because I am here and I make it holy. Hey, Moses, you won't have to prepare yourself because if you're going to come and be with me, I am holy and set apart. And here is the part that I have missed the majority of my life. Even though where God was was a holy place, he still invited Moses anyways. And he says, Moses, take off your shoes because this is holy but you're still invited. I was listening to Steve Austin podcast. He was reading the first part of this passage of scripture. And he said in Moses' culture, in Israelite culture, the two times that people would take off their shoes would be one when they were at extended state of rest and the other time is when they were at home. So check this out, everybody. God says, hey, Moses, take your shoes off because I'm holy. But also you can take your shoes off because you are home with me and you have found your place with me. It doesn't mean that I am less holy. It means that I am making you holy because I am who I am. Y'all, I read that and I was just like, when did they put that in the Bible? It was like seeing it for the first time and it blew my mind because I thought to myself, I am not holy, but the I am calls me to be holy, and he has done the work to make me holy, so I am invited. Not only am I invited, but I'm at home with the great I am. And that is true for you as well.
I am has invited you home, and he makes you holy as he is holy. And I'm sure for Moses, this this was otherworldly, and he almost was undone. Why? Because Moses has dwelled in the land of in between his whole life, and finally, just finally, he has a home. I don't know if you can relate to that. I don't know if you find yourself going, oh. But for a guy who never really had a place to be invited to a place of holiness by the great I am, was life changing. And it started when he called his name. Verse six. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. I find it interesting that God introduces himself. Like, hey, by the way, in case you don't know who I am, let me tell you who I am. He could have said, you see that mountain right there? I did that. That's who I am. Mic drop, boom. He didn't do that. He goes, hey, here is who I am. You are familiar with me. Even though you didn't know who I was, you have seen my fingerprints your whole life. And it's time that we have an introduction. And so here he is in the presence of God, and Moses hides his face. Why? Because Moses realized that he was in the presence of I am, and he was not. Moses recognized that he was invited into a place of holiness, but he was not holy within himself. Verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perjacites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and now the cry of the Israelites have reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Listen, God has a plan. So fix your eyes on the I am and don't fix your eyes just on you. God goes, listen, Moses, I know you're asking who you are, but it is not most important who you are. It's who I am. And I have called you by name and I have invited you to walk this thing out. Chapter 13, verse 13. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Let's pause real quick right here. Did anyone think in this moment that God is talking to him through a burning bush that does not burn up, and Moses is asking questions? You ever think about that? Like God has appeared through a burning bush and is telling Moses how it's going to be and what's going to go down and who he is and why it is. And he's telling him all of these things. And then what does Moses do? Okay, okay, I hear you. But. 
And I look at Moses and I want to point my finger, but how many times have I seen a movement of God and I get to a crossroads or I get to an obstacle and I go, God, but. Is that resonating with anybody else? This is why I love the story of Moses and Exodus because it's ultimately our story. Verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Woo! If you, listen, if y'all are an amen in group of people, that's an amen moment. Woo! God goes, hey, I am who I am. Like, okay, okay, God, won't you calm down? I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord your God or your father is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. The I am is. You might go, Nick, I don't understand what that means. What do you mean that I am is? Well, let me break it down for you in case you are not as quick as someone of my caliber. This is what I am means. When he says I am, you know what he's saying? He's saying I am present. He's saying I am constant. He's saying, I am peace, I am a refuge, I am good, I am holy, I am able, I am friend, I am the king, I am everything you need me to be. That's who I am. He Listen, and notice that he didn't say, I was, he said, I am. I am constantly who I am. I do not change. I am the same today forever. That is who I am. So when you go and tell the people who sent you, just say, I am, because I'm enough and I'm sufficient, and I am good. Listen, listen, everybody. If the I am says it, let us walk in it. Because there ain't nothing more to say. If I am has called you by name and invited you into his family, that is enough. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. You want to know why? Because they are not, but he is. They are not the I am. That Job is fulfilled in full by the I am. And so he is everything that we need or will ever need, and we can walk in that. And this moment that he's having with Moses and going, Moses, I get it. So let me just break it down for you, Moses. Whatever they ask you, tell them that I'm sufficient and I'm enough. And as I'm reading that, guys, I'm just, I'm reading that and I'm going, okay, God, I hear you. Because, see, I told you that that middle school boy who questioned himself, can I just tell you that middle school boy makes an appearance often? Where I often will go, but God, let me tell you all the reasons why I am not. And he goes, Nick, you don't have to be enough because I am. Nick, you don't have to do this because I am and I am sufficient. And listen, I think that's a word we need today. He is. And he will always be. What would it look like if we walked in that? And the fact that the king, the I am, knows who we are. What if we really, really believe that? What if the fact that he knows our name is enough? Verse 16, let's finish this up. Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you 
and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt, and I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perdicites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. I am has invited you to be a part of what he is doing. In case you didn't realize this, the I am did not need Moses' help. But yet he invited him anyways. Can I break it down for you? He don't need your help. He doesn't. But you know what? He's inviting you into his story anyways. He wants you to play a part. He knows your name. He knows how many hairs on your head. He has called you child, and he has invited you to dine at his table, not because he has to, but because he wants to and because he loves you. And by using a people that are broken and that struggle, he gets the glory, y'all. And in the process, he is making us more like himself. Finishes up in verse 21. It says this, and I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards his people, so that when you leave, you will no, not go empty handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, so you will plunder the Egyptians. I also love that God's plan is not a halfway plan, it's a full plan. Uh, you could even say, if you want to use the words of Scripture, an abundant plan, y'all. It's above and beyond. See, it would have been enough to set the people free. That would have been enough. We would have, oh, praise the Lamb. But he's like, not only am I going to bring you out, but I'm going to provide for you abundance. And we know how the story goes eventually. He's like, you know what? There's going to be a major obstacle in your way, but you're going to walk across it. You're going to walk through it, not just on squishy ground, but on dry ground. What? God is not a halfway God, y'all. He is not a halfway I am. And what I love is we get the picture of the I am in the person of Jesus. Jesus is the I am. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, it's one of my favorite passages of Scripture because you can't really do Jesus justice, but I tell you, my man Paul tried. When it's talking about Jesus being this I am, he says this, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. You know, that's a long way of saying Jesus is who he says he is. He is the I am. 
He is constant. He is enough. And he knows your name. And he has invited you into his story. Here's a question you need to wrestle with. And then we're going to allow our team to sing a song over us that we're going to have to step into and we're going to have to wrestle with. Because here's the truth. He knows your name, but are you answering his voice? Are you answering his call? Because him knowing your name changes everything, but are you going to answer the voice of the king? Because he knows your name, and that changes everything.